in the middle of a series called uh, Love More Than uh, More Than Words, and we're talking about what it means to love. Love those we don't know, uh, love those who we don't have anything in common with, and to love those who we're close to, um, because a life defined by love is, is the life that Jesus Christ has called us to. Um, I got a pe- couple folks that I don't know that well that are here this morning, but I love them. They are our ambassadors of Christ in Guatemala, Antigua. Alejandro and Beatriz are here, and we're glad to have you guys here. They work with the church in Antigua, Guatemala. Yeah. So I'm guessing we'll get to work, our team will get to work with them this summer as well. So that'll be cool. And great Christians down there, great coffee down there as well. God has planted his little wonderful blessings all over the globe. Antigua, Guatemala. He's planted some awesome coffee blessings there, (laughs) if you like coffee. Um, Once upon a time, uh, there was a customs agent, a a guard customs agent, who worked at a border crossing, and he saw this truck approaching, and he felt like, from his experience, there was something fishy, something not quite right, that this person may be hauling in some contraband or smuggling some illicit goods across the border. And so he stopped the man, checked his documents, uh, frisked the person. Uh, they actually took the truck into a, 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 um, a shed there on the side and dismantled parts of the truck looking for illicit contraband. Didn't find a thing. Put it back together, sent the guy on his way. But couldn't shake the feeling that there was something not quite right about this guy. And so a couple weeks later, same guy comes through. Uh, They again search the vehicle. Uh, And this goes on, by the way, this goes on over a period of years. This border crossing customs officer just can't shake the sense that something is not right about this guy. And so he puts that guy and his truck through all sorts of searches. They bring out at one time the the, do- the bomb-sniffing dogs or the drug-sniffing dogs, and they do, ra- uh, not radar, they do an x-ray on the vehicle, and they do all sorts of things over there. Sometimes he just waves the guy through, but he has this suspicion all along that there is something he just can't quite put his finger on it. There is something not right about this fellow and, and this truck that keep coming through his border crossing. Well, after years and years, finally... One day, there comes the truck, there comes the guy again. The border crossing guard stops him and says, here's the thing. I'm retiring. This is my last day on the job. Okay, hear me out. I know you're smuggling stuff. You know you're smuggling stuff. I haven't been able to figure it out all these years. I'm going to make you an offer today. I am not going to blow the, uh, blow the whistle on you. I'm not going to report anything you say to me. This is our little secret. But I have got to know what have you been smuggling across my border all these years. And that truck driver kind of thinks about how to answer that or if to answer that. And finally, he looks at that crossing guard and he says, Trucks. Trucks. I've been smuggling trucks. And sometimes the truth 
is right there. It's as clear as the, as the nose on your face. It's right in front of you. But you can't see it. You can't see it. Sometimes it's so obvious, trucks, but you just miss it. And in case we miss what is so obviously important, supremely important from God's point of view about what life is all about, the Bible just over and over and over and over comes to us and says, here it is, love. Old Testament, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, again, comes along and says that all throughout the Scriptures, God says love is the most important thing. Don't miss that or you will miss what it means to live a significant human life. You will not be successful no matter what else you do with your life if you don't learn to love people and to love God. Um, And so let's go to Paul who perhaps says uh, some of the most famous or memorable things in all the Bible about love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he writes these words that are familiar to us. At the beginning of the chapter, he says, if I could speak all of the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would be only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge And if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would gain nothing. And then the bookend on this chapter, the final verse of chapter 13, he says, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So it's pretty obvious. It's pretty clear in the Holy Scriptures. The most important thing is love. Um, What God wants from us more than anything else is for us to learn to love Him and to love other people. And I think that is not a big jaw-dropping surprise to you today. I don't think I've said anything that makes you go, wow, I had no clue that love was important to God. The tricky thing for us is not the obvious truth, love is important. The tricky thing is how, okay? I mean, how do I do that? How do I translate this will of God for my life into practically loving those around me. Um, And so Paul is going to to talk about that in this chapter. And first, what he's going to do is he's going to pick on some really important things that you could use as, I guess, substitutes for love, some things that are, 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 are good things. He starts out talking about speech or, or rhetoric, about language, about you know, speaking all of the languages of the world, if you could do that, and even all the celestial languages of the angels, if you could pull that off, but you weren't a loving person, it wouldn't amount to anything. And there are folks that look at communication as being almost supremely important. I mean, if you are a gifted communicator, 
and you know how to, how to speak in ways that persuade and motivate other people, you can sell anything, right? Politicians can sell themselves. Um, salespeople can sell their product. Um, you can teach people and, and teach the next generation and get them ready. You can transmit that. If you're a gifted communicator, you can. We had Brad McCoy here yesterday for the men's breakfast, and, and, and he was inspiring. He used his words to inspire us. And by the way, I was pretty inspired by the work of our boys in the kitchen too. Uh, waffles and fried chicken always inspire me, so that was great. Um, but if you can, if you are an eloquent speaker, Paul says, you can do a lot of amazing things. But if you're an eloquent speaker and you aren't a loving person, you're a failure, Paul says. So Paul uh, picks on communication. And then Paul picks on one that in our day and time is, is bigger and more valued than, it, than it's ever been in the history of the world, which is knowledge. We live in an age that values knowledge above almost anything else. Um, and Paul says, imagine if a person understood everything. They understood God's secrets. Um, they had access to all knowledge. They just knew it. Imagine how amazing that would be. I mean, if you had all knowledge, what could you do in science? What could you do in technology? What could you do in, in, in the field of medicine? What could you do as a business person if you knew all the secrets there were to know? Boy, you could accomplish a lot. You could make certainly piles and piles of money and accrue for yourself great influence in your field of study, in your profession. And let's face it, I mean, we live in a day and time when knowledge is, is as valuable and as accessible as it has ever been. I mean, I think in virtually any important field of study, if you were to take what we know today and you were to compare that with what we knew about medicine or about communications or about biology or you name it, it what we know today versus what we knew 30 years ago, just three decades ago, we know 100 times more today than we did 30 years ago. We are acquiring knowledge all of the time, and we carry our smartphones around, and we know it. We get our alerts and everything. We know it when it happens. We know the news events, or we turn on the 24-hour news channel. We have unprecedented access to knowledge. And in a world of such astronomical growth in the area of knowledge, I don't know if you've noticed, we have the same old problems, don't we? Oh, we've got knowledge. We got the same bigotry. We got the same wars being fought. We got the same pollution being dumped into oceans and streams. We got the same corruption happening in government offices. We've got the same old stuff going on. So knowledge, knowledge is a really good thing. But Paul says, if there's not love behind it, it's not useful. It's not useful. I mean, you can use that knowledge to do great things, or without love, you can use that knowledge to build more deadly bombs, all right, or more destructive things. And then he picks on one, and I think this one really, at least it really gets my attention. He picks on service. 
Like, really, Paul? Picking on service? But he does a great job of getting our attention because we would think that Paul would do what he usually do, does, which is encourage people to serve and to help others. But he says in verse 3, If I gave, hypothetically, if I gave everything I have to the poor, and I even gave my body, I physically just died to serve others, but I didn't love them, I've gained nothing. And if you think about it, it's, it's true. Service is a good thing. Paul would not want to say anything to destimulate us from serving others. It's a good thing. But if you think about it, sometimes when we serve others, it's not for love. And there are people who do a lot of really good things because of their guilt. They're ashamed of their past, or they feel guilt, and so they're motivated to do good things to try to make up for that. There are people who do good things, who serve and are generous so that they can get a name, <laughs> their name, on a building, on a university campus, or their name announced at halftime of their favorite team's uh, football game. Look at this generous donation that was given by so-and-so, or so they can get recognized. There are other people who give um, frankly, so that they can uh, get something in return. You know, I'm going to give to you today, hoping that someday you'll be able to give back, that we can kind of even things up. I'm making an investment. So there are all sorts of reasons to give besides love for another person. So giving is good, but without love, even giving is faulty, Paul says. And think about it this way. Look, there are some parents that think, I don't get this, you know. I, I have given Junior everything I could possibly give him. I have given him basically everything he's asked for and more. I have given this kid everything. Why doesn't Junior love me? Why don't I have a better relationship with Junior? Well, hate to be the one to pull the pin on this truth grenade this morning, but you cannot buy a genuine relationship with another person. You, you just, you can't do that. You cannot buy the love of your child or a strong relationship with your child, That's or with anyone else, for that matter. Not a real, genuine relationship, that is. And so Paul says, hey, he says, don't miss the obvious Love is the most important thing. There are a lot of good things out there. Knowledge, service, all communication. These things are good things. But there's only one that is the greatest of these. And that's love. So, that I think is pretty obvious and not terribly surprising to us. What is a little trickier for us is how. Okay. What is a little trickier is, okay, how do I translate that into my life and into letting people around me feel the love that I have for them. And that is where things get kind of puzzling for a lot of us. To get some perspective on this, we're going to think about, um, we're going to think about how Jesus interacted with a very specific demographic. I mean, a very specific demographic. In his ministry, he 
loved a lot of people in a lot of different ways. He loved them by teaching them the truth. He loved them by spending time with them, eating in their homes and, and, and having conversation. He loved them by casting out demons or, or healing the sick. He loved them that way. Uh, he loved us by giving his life for us on the cross. But a very specific demographic, the way that he loved blind people, okay, very specific, visually impaired people. Yes, he healed them. But it's interesting, if you pay attention in the Gospels to how he healed different blind people. Bartimaeus, outside of Jericho, this blind beggar comes to Jesus, and Jesus healed this blind man with a word, with a proclamation. So write that down on the outline. I think we'll see how this is relevant to this conversation about love in, in, in just a moment. Um, or you'll probably piece it together before we even get there. But he loved him and healed him with a word. The Bible says in Mark 10, 52, And Jesus said, Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has healed you. Instantly the man could see. A word from Jesus, he can see. So he healed with the divine word. And then a couple of chapters earlier, same book, Mark, he is interacting with a, a different visually impaired, a different blind person, and this time it's not with a word. It's with a touch. It's with the laying on of his, his hands that he brings sight to this individual. So healing by divine touch. Verse 25 of Mark chapter 8, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes. And his eyes were opened, and his sight was completely restored. Interesting. So he heals one guy with a word, he heals another guy with, with a touch, and, and then you have this other story in the book of John. He meets another blind individual, and in this case, he doesn't use a word, he doesn't use a touch to heal, but he actually makes kind of a medical ointment, okay? So write this one down. Divine ointment. Another way that Jesus healed this very narrow demographic of people, it says in John chapter 9. By the way, this one's a little bit, a little bit gross, to be honest, okay? I think if I, I would love to be healed in any way, okay? Maybe this would not be my first choice, though, okay? So John chapter 9, he spit on the ground. He made mud with the saliva, and he spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Interesting, right? Same malady, same, same physical disability. But different people, Jesus touches and heals in, in kind of different ways if you pay attention. Now, could, uh, could he have just shown up every time? Okay, got a blind person here. You're healed. Could he have done that? Yes, he could have done that. Or we're going to heal this disease by touch. Every time I see a blind person, I touch him, they're healed. Could have done that. But he did not use a cookie-cutter approach, even with this one very specific physical illness. And I think we begin to see something about the nature of love. 
Jesus is recognizing that everybody is different. That people not only have different situations, but they have different personalities. They receive healing or, or love or whatever you want to call that. They, they receive it in different ways. And so Jesus ministered to different people with the exact same problem in different ways. So write this down on the outline. Driven by his divine love, Jesus interacted with different people in different ways, recognizing that the needs of each individual were different. They were specific to that individual. And you see this all over the ministry of Jesus. Words and actions of the Son of God tailored to the individuals that he came across. Now we're getting somewhere, aren't we? People are different. Amen. No big surprise there. People are not all cut out of the same mold. I mean, you're different from your spouse. Um, you're different from your kids. You're different from your boss. You're different from your BFF. We are not cookie-cutter versions of one another. We are complex mosaics. Um, and we don't all receive love in the exact same ways, do we? And I haven't always done a good job of translating this truth into how I show love to the people that I am closest to, respecting their individuality and tailoring my words and my actions to that person. And that's important because one way that people are different is precisely this, in the way they, we, receive love. So write this down as well. Each individual receives love in different ways, so an important part of loving another person is recognizing their unique love language. Often our expressions of love for another person are broken and inadequate because we do not understand the way that that person best receives love. Okay, all of this now is going to come from Dr. Gary Chapman, who wrote a New York Times best-selling book on the love languages. Actually, we use this book in our Together Forever ministry that prepares um, engaged couples and seriously dating couples for marriage. So the love languages, highly recommend that book. But basically, the fundamental hypothesis that Chapman works with, and that's kind of a no-brainer, we're like, yeah, when you read it, you're like, totally makes sense, is that people are different even in the way that they receive love. So I may be, I may be putting a lot of effort into, into loving those people that I am closest to, but it could be that I'm loving them in my way. I'm loving them in the way I like to be loved, and something is getting lost in translation. I may be speaking, essentially, I may be speaking English to someone who understands only Russian, okay? I may be speaking in a love language that just doesn't work for that person. In marriage, for example, you could grab, I mean, you could go to the internet and grab like a hundred ways to, to show your spouse you love them, okay? You could grab something like that off the internet and you could peruse the list and pick out two or three things and say, okay, I'm going to try these on my spouse. And you could try those things and it may be that your spouse doesn't even notice, <laughs> doesn't even notice what you're doing. And it could be that I've picked out some things that make sense for me, right? And I'm like, I think this would be cool. I'll do this. And they don't even, they don't even notice. 
Um, and you can just kind of, when you try and it doesn't even get noticed, you can just kind of give up. Man, I'm never going to be able to express my love in a way that, man, really connects and really impacts and really delivers. Um, so Chapman says people have different love languages, and that means they receive love differently. And if I'm not speaking in my spouse's love language or my best friend's love language or this other person I'm trying to show love to, if I'm not speaking in their love language, I might as well be speaking Chinese. Okay. Um, so what happens is people can go years and years feeling unloved by their spouses or by their parents or by their peers or by their friends because there is this breakdown in communication at the core level of how love is being expressed. Jesus, as we said, modeled for us how he respected individuals, how he respected the differences between people, and how he shared love then differently with different people depending on whom he was interacting with. So here are some of the different love... In fact, there's just five, so we'll talk about all five that Chapman talks about. The first one, the first love language is words of affirmation. Okay? So there are some of you that will feel most loved when somebody speaks sincere, genuine words of affirmation to you. And that is what some people need more than anything else. By the way, this is mine. Um, if you're wondering, okay, somebody came up this morning and said, Gordon, I just love the way you preach. And I was like, thanks for the words of affirmation, okay? Because they were listening. They knew that was going to score points. I hope they were sincere. I think they were. Um, but remember Peter. I mean, Peter is this guy who in the New Testament, important world changer, amazing person of faith, but also kind of a mess up. I mean, he was, he was the one like pour, pulled out his sword and tried to chop somebody, someone's head off in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, he is the guy who uh, denies Jesus all of a sudden. I mean, one moment he's doing something spectacular, and the next moment he's making kind of a doofus move. Well, one of these moves, uh, that's not a doofus move, but one of his highlights, followed by kind of a low light, but the highlight, he affirms the identity of Jesus. He says, Jesus, you are the Son of God. You're the Messiah. And Jesus uses words of affirmation at that moment. He says, you are Peter, Petros in the Greek. You are Peter, Petros. And upon this Petros, 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 so Peter is Petros, upon this Petros, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I think Peter was feeling pretty good at that moment. It's like, yes, <laughs> I did something right. Um, the Savior gave me a compliment. Some people really need those words of, of affirmation. Um, I think a lot of you guys, probably most of us, have either read the book The Help or seen the movie The Help. I just saw the movie, okay? Um, one of the key people in that movie, it's Jackson, Mississippi, bigotry, racism, um, inequality. Just a few decades back, the story is written about the, the maid culture, these maids working in these richer or wealthier white women's homes. And one of them is, is Ibeline, um, who is a wonderful, kind-hearted woman who is working in this home, and she is helping to raise this young, um, this white family's daughter, um, Skeeter. 
And so Skeeter is always climbing on Ibeline's uh, lap. And if you've read the book or seen the movie, you remember what she is constantly saying to Miss Skeeter. Ibeline looks her in the eyes and she says, Miss Skeeter, you is kind, you is smart, you is important. And Miss Skeeter believes those words and hears them over and over and turns into this wonderful, strong young lady because of those words of affirmation that she receives day after day from Ibeline. Compliments. Encouragement. Kind words. Words of praise. Pats on the back. Job well done. Those are important to someone who who this is their primary love language. And that means we need to think about the way we talk, especially to people whose primary love language is words of affirmation. I mean, maybe your spouse continually fixes this horrific chicken dish that is terribly oversalted. And instead of saying, you know, this is horribly salty, you could say, you know, this salt dish is pretty good, just needs a little more chicken. Okay, maybe maybe that's not a good example. But we can think about the way that we say things and say things in a way that are more affirming and less discouraging. By the way, Jesus not only used words of affirmation, he was the word of affirmation. I mean, John chapter 1 calls him the logos, the word of grace and truth sent from heaven to us, the word of affirmation. Another one is, is quality time. Okay, Another love language. Some people spell love T-I-M-E. Will you pay attention to me? Will you take me seriously? Will you listen to me? Will you spend time with me? Um, now you may, by the way, it's not like you're just going to have one love language, all right? You will have probably a primary one, but you may have two or three secondary ones as well, and that's okay. But the important thing is to know probably that person that you care about has a primary love language that is the main way they receive love. And one of them is this quality time, and that's about receiving undivided attention from the other person. And that's the way they most clearly hear, I love you. And that means undivided attention. Not, dear, I am listening to you, but could you move a little to the left so I can watch the game? Okay, that's, that's not undivided attention, right? Um, quality time can be shared with somebody in a thousand different ways. We're not going to list all of them. It can be a, a long lunch with a friend. It could be a slow walk with your spouse. It can be a good, patient conversation where you're doing more listening than talking. Um, and then there are some of us and there's nothing wrong with any of these, okay? There's not, they're just different love languages. There are some of us whose primary love language is receiving gifts, okay? Receiving gifts. A handwritten card that you send someone out of the blue. It's not even their birthday or their anniversary. You just send them a thoughtful card where you write. You don't just let Hallmark write, okay? But you write some words to that person, and they receive that out of the blue. Picking up uh, a gallon of your spouse's favorite ice cream on the way home. I mean, that, that says I love you. Now, you might wait till the bluebell is back on the shelf, all right? Showing up with best choice rum raisin is probably not going to send the same message, all right, to your... This is, pickings are slim right now. I'm ready for bluebell to get back, amen? <clears throat> Chances... <laughs> yeah, this church likes their ice cream, right? 
Um, now, chances are there is someone that you care about whose primary love language is receiving gifts. You don't need a bunch of money. You don't need to do anything super extravagant, just simple, thoughtful, a rose, a Starbucks gift card, a handwritten note, something like that. And those gifts go a long way toward communicating that you love that person, that, that, that speaks the love language of receiving gifts. Acts of service is the next one, one that Jesus most certainly modeled throughout his ministry. Um, from washing his disciples' feet to his death on the cross to smaller, more forgotten things like John chapter 20, he is fixing breakfast for his disciples on the beach at the Sea of Galilee. He was always looking to serve people in big and small ways. And that's how, that's how some people hear, I love you. They hear, I love you, when you do the dishes. Or you say, hey, looks like I need to mow the yard. Or could I bring by some food? I know you guys have had a rough week. Can I just bring by so you don't have to worry about dinner? Or can I uh, fix something around the house or hang a picture or something? That's how some people um, hear or receive love. And look, okay, we're not doing an exhaustive list, okay? It's not like we're going to go through every possible way you can communicate I love you to someone else. What we're trying to do this morning is just to say we need to recognize that the people around us are different and different from us. And loving a person involves caring enough to understand their love language and speak to them in their love language. The last one is physical touch. Physical touch. Very important. Some people really need, more than anything else, they need a hug. They need a touch. They need to hold their hand as they go through a tough time. Physical touch can be a very powerful expression of love. By the way, Jesus is a great example of this. The little children come to him. He's hugging them. He's loving on them. Um, the leper we talked about a few weeks ago who hadn't been touched because of his skin disease in years, Jesus makes a point to connect physically, to touch this individual. Um, and by the way, this, as we're thinking through this, you're probably thinking about people you know, so I'm words of affirmation. My wife is this, okay? Neither one of us care much about gifts, okay? But she cares a lot about physical touch. Will you hold my hand? And we stroke my cheek, you put your arm around me. This is not my love language. It's her love language. So I have to be very intentional about this. And I don't always do such a great job at it, but I'm still trying. And after 20-something years of marriage, I'm getting maybe a little better about this. But it's not my love language. And when we love someone, again, we, we, we recognize how they receive love. We go the extra mile to speak that language to them. A friend of mine, we'll finish up here in just, just a few minutes, but a friend of mine who lives in another state, and she calls me once or twice a week. So, so we're talking one time. She, by the way, very socially awkward person. Let me just say, very socially awkward person. Not adept at doing relationships or in be, being in social settings. And, she, she, and by the way, this is her language of love. When she sees me, it is a very long hug. If she were to meet you, she'd want to give you a big old hug, all right? So she called me a while back and she said, so I've got this boyfriend... Um, we've kind of been together here for a few weeks now, um, and she's telling me all about him, and she said, but he won't hug me. He won't hug me. If he really cared about me, he would hug me. And at that point, I said, I think you told me earlier that he has Asperger's syndrome. 
Okay, I said, I, I said, I don't know a whole lot about that, but I think one of the symptoms for a lot of folks with some autism or some Asperger's is they don't want to be touched. Okay, they don't do physical touch. And she said, yeah, yeah, but if he, if he loved me, if he cared about me, he would hug me. And I said, uh, that's probably not the way that works. Anyway, they're broken up now. So anyway, yeah. <laughs> big surprise there. That, that wasn't going to work. That, that wasn't going to work. But a lot of people, physical touch really is their language of love. That's the way they receive love. And Jesus blessed people with his touch. So, the scriptures call our, our attention to the most obvious, important thing. God is love, and it is important that we are a people marked by love. We get that. What is less obvious, especially to a guy like me, what's less obvious is how do I do that? You know, how do I do that? What are the mechanics of that? How we love shouldn't be fixated on what we want, on how we are affirmed, what makes us feel good, and then just kind of offering that to other people. But in thinking about their needs and their individuality and what will affirm them. Some of you, it would be amazing if I was to say, hey, let's take the week off, go get in the car. We're going to spend a week on a river fishing all week. I would hate that, by the way. But some of you would think that was the greatest thing ever. So I might do that for your birthday. Don't do that for my birthday. Some of you like your steak extra well done. By the way, if that's you, don't spend money on an expensive steak. Charcoal all tastes the same. You can get it. If you are an extra well done person, just get the cheapest steak on the menu, okay? Do, do your pocketbook a favor. Now, if that's you, probably to honor you, I'm not going to take you to my favorite sushi place, right? You know, do raw meat. So loving someone involves thinking about them and thinking about their needs and how they receive love. Well, on the cross, Jesus communicated God's love to us in a way everybody could understand. He saw us in our need. He saw us lost in our sins. And he took on rejection and suffering and death on our behalf to extend his love to us. And this morning, if you need to accept the love of God extended to you through the gospel, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, you can do that. You can accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You can be buried with him in baptism, all of your sins washed away to enter into this new relationship with God and this new fuel for living and loving. If that's what you need to do, we'd encourage you to do that today. If you just need prayers, we would invite you to use this time before we leave this place to get together with two or three folks or person next to you or across the room, your small group, or come down and pray with me and just pray about whatever it is that's on your heart. But let's not leave here this morning without responding to God's love. Let's be standing in worship together.